All right, this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. This is 89.5 FM. And we are going to be talking today about what's going on in Palestine. Uh, my co-host Jess uh, Ghanem is traveling to Cuba, and I actually have returned. I haven't been on the air for a few weeks, but now I'm back. And in the studio with us, we are joined by Ziad Abbas from Mecca, the Middle East Children Alliance. Uh, we're going to be talking about an event that they have, a, a very important event where they are going to be featuring an important film. And the event is going to be in Berkeley City College Auditorium on Tuesday, July 25th at 7 p.m. and they are going to be showing the film of 3,000 Nights by May Masri. We'll talk about that uh, when we come back. Uh, welcome to Arab Talk, uh, Ziad. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're going to talk about the film, we're going to talk about the event, and it seems that we cannot escape every time we are here, we cannot escape something happening in Palestine, whether in Gaza, whether it's in the West Bank and whether it's in Jerusalem. And now, as you know, I mean, it's right here in the U.S. It's Thursday, and in a few hours, which is, you know, it's 10 hours ahead of us, uh, tomorrow it's going to be Friday, and again, uh, Muslims in Jerusalem, Muslims in the West Bank, Muslims all over, have been praying in the streets outside uh, Al-Aqsa since... Uh, the Israelis have taken over, really. So it's, it is, Al-Aqsa is under attack. It's been taken over by the Israeli government. And uh, I will give, you know, we'll give some, some background to this because it's, it's really important before we talk about it. But, um, you know, ever since uh, last week, uh, it's been a week since Friday, and it's, it is the first time in, in decades uh, that Israel closed the Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, compound in uh, Jerusalem's old city to Friday prayers. I don't recall that this happened for many decades. The closure followed an attack near an entrance to the compound which houses the Al-Aqsa Mosque, one of the holiest sites for Muslims, as you know, all over the world. Three Palestinian citizens of Israel uh, ambushed police officers fatally injuring two and lightly wounding another. And since that, since the this attack on last Friday morning, Israel has arrested dozens of employees of the Waqf. This mm -hmm. is the Islamic trust that oversees the holy site. Uh, when the compound was reopened, Two days later, Palestinians and Waqf officials refused to enter. And why did they refuse to enter? Because Israel uh, put metal detectors and was uh, asking everyone to go through the metal detectors, which never was the case. So they have continued, uh, Palestinians there, they have continued to stage sit-ins and perform prayers in the streets around the compound in protest of uh, the Israeli restrictions. So tomorrow it's a, it's going to be a very important event because tomorrow uh, there has been a call, you know, f uh, mass demonstrations and people to go there and uh, I don't know what's uh, going to happen. 
uh, and many people think that this is one of the many steps, if not a kind of a final step for uh, Israel to really take over Al-Aqsa. Al-Aqsa. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Tomorrow, uh, it's a huge day. It's not easy. Uh, I can't expect what could happen. Uh, everything could happen. It reminds me when uh, September 28th, when uh, Sharon, to, uh, September 28th, uh, 2002, when Sharon, he did his visit to Al-Aqsa Mosque, when after that started the Second Intifada. I'm not saying that about tomorrow, but I can say all the time, Jerusalem, it's the center of the uh, uh, Palestinian struggle. And I can say this, and to give you credit, all the media reports coming from there, that the people, the uh, people living in Jerusalem, the Arab people living in Jerusalem, Muslims and the Christians, they are standing together to face uh, and challenge the Israeli occupation. What's going on in Jerusalem, it's not just the idea they are taking over Jerusalem. There is a plan, the Israelis, they have this plan even since 1967, where take over is Jerusalem. And to reduce the Arab uh, uh, citizen living in Jerusalem to the minimum. And right now, actually, for the first time in the history since 67, actually in the history, that the Jewish people, Jewish settlers living in East Jerusalem, they are the majority, and the Palestinian, they are the minority. And we can see a lot of procedures. All the time they are doing this. And we don't need to forget what Israel is doing under the Al-Aqsa Mosque, all these kind of tunnels, all these kind of diggings uh, under the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And this is threatening the existence of Al-Aqsa Mosque. And uh, uh, what happened uh, last week, it's uh, uh, Israel, they had their own plan. Just they were waiting the action to the spark where they can, after that, implement their uh, policy. You are right, Al-Aqsa Mosque did not close since 1967 until now, except last week for two days. And this is the first time since 1967. And right now, the Arab, and I can say the Arab, the Muslims, and East Jerusalem, with the Christian people at the same time, they are standing with them. And they refuse to uh, to go through this kind of uh, 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 equipments to uh, to search everyone to pass to go to Al-Aqsa Mosque to pray. This kind, even yesterday I was reading a report, they were pilgrims, they came from Turkey, and they were like dreaming all their lives, thousands of them, and they came to go to Al-Aqsa Mosque. You know, the people, they go to, to Mecca first. Mm-hmm. After that, they need to go to Al-Aqsa to to finish the, the process of uh, pilgrims in Islam. Right. So these people, they came yesterday and they want to go to Al-Aqsa. They were dreaming. Some of them, they say, we grew up like dreaming to be in Al-Aqsa. And, to, and here we are today. We want to go to pray uh, in Al-Aqsa, but we will not do that. We will protest and we are, will be in solidarity with the Muslim and the Arab people living in East Jerusalem. They will not go through this kind of machine to enter Al-Aqsa and to mosque. This is a new escalation by Israeli government against the Palestinians. And they want to use the opportunity, what I can say. They have a government in the White House. They give them a green light to do whatever they want, to build more settlement, to expand settlements, and now to implement their process against Jerusalem. <clears throat> and at the same time, you have what's going on in the Middle East in general, in Syria and Yemen and Libya, everywhere where the Arab countries, they are not paying attention. Palestine is not the center of the Arab uh, issue right now. This is why Israel tried to impose more procedures and to take over Al-Aqsa Mosque recently. So, uh, I mean, the takeover has been systematic. 
And many people don't know the sovereignty over Al-Aqsa. It, it's uh, twofold. One is the Al-Awqaf, the Waqf. Which is Jordan behind them. Which is exactly. And yeah. the other part is it is technically under Jordanian right. sovereignty. That's why Jordan uh, has installed cameras, uh, I think, a few months ago. Yes. Uh, since the last, uh, what they called, uh, upheaval mm -hmm. around, around Al-Aqsa. But now... Israeli troops went inside. Israeli troops and soldiers controlled the entrances and the actually the whole uh, grounds. Mm -hmm. They allowed Israeli and Jewish uh, right wings right wings to go yeah. before actually Muslims, and that's why now people are saying, well. This is part and parcel of a plan to really take over. I mean, it's not, I mean, you have a, I mean, you have a far right wing government. This could be the Israeli military will have the pretext to arrest, expel, and even kill anyone who resists with the idea that eventually will control the entire compound mm -hmm. and even destroy the mosque and build in its place a temple. Yes. I mean, this is this is what people are saying. It's it's not it's it's not uh, kind of coming out of nowhere because this same scenario, this playbook, we've seen it before in Hebron. Exactly. So we've seen it in Hebron, where it took the 1994 massacre of 29 Palestinians by an American Jewish settler uh, to. Uh, Basically, for Israel to use this as a pretext to tighten its control over the old city and uh, partition the Ibrahimi mosque. Yes, exactly. So can we see, do you think we will see a similar situation today? Absolutely. This is the plan. And I'm glad you mentioned that this example, what happened in the uh, Abraham mosque in, uh, in Hebron and how they are divided this mosque and control most of it and there are many gates right now for Palestinian prayers when they want to pass to go to the Abraham mosque they need to go through many security gates until they enter the mosque to pray and this is actually the scenario could happen in Al-Aqsa mosque and I can say could happen because it depends what the Palestinian people and the reaction of the Palestinian people in general in the streets, the reaction of the Arab countries, the Muslim all over the world, if they will accept Al-Aqsa, absolutely, this is something like the center for the Muslims in all over the world. And this kind of reaction, what they will do to try to stop the Israelis, this is something we will see in the coming few weeks. No doubts, I mentioned in the beginning that about the Israeli plan, the plan is where they have digging under Al-Aqsa, and you, you mentioned this, in any moment Al-Aqsa could collapse because all these kind of diggings and tunnels uh, under uh, Jerusalem in general, even under Silwan neighborhood, it go farther where they now taking tourists under uh, uh, Jerusalem. The Israelis, they, this is the plan for uh, the right wings, and we don't need to forget what we have right now in Israel, it's a right wing government. And most of them, they believe this is the opportunity for them to build the temple. And this is the goal they are seeking for. This is why all the time the radical wings from Israel, the right wings to try to visit Al-Aqsa and to provoke the Palestinian. We saw that a few months ago when the Jordanian did the interfere. In the end, they had the cameras. But still, this is not working well. They are step by step, the Israeli plan going there. And last, what happened last week, this is like, I can't say it, the spark where Israel can escalate and take over and minimize the role of the Jordanian and minimize the role of the Palestinian and put the, everyone 
in, in the corner, or the, the reaction will be enough that will impose on Israel to stop their procedures. Uh, it's not something like I can say uh, easy for that. I can see like last few days who's following the report coming from West Bank. Uh, uh, yesterday there were huge marches in all over Palestine. Uh, uh, in general, but tomorrow it's the big day, and maybe tomorrow it's a new, a new start for these kind of protests where the people take the, st the streets and to raise their voices. We also uh, have to include the whole uh, atmosphere in the whole, in the entire region. We cannot talk about this as an isolated incident, and we know that Israel is uh, an opportunist state. It mm -hmm. takes advantage of all the situations around it. How much do you think now with this whole distraction of what's going on in Syria, what's going on with the whole, this whole thing, ISIS, uh, what's going on in Yemen, what's going on with the split between Qatar and Saudi Arabia? Yeah. Uh, that, uh, in fact, and I, and I actually will choose this, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry if I'm going to offend some people who are listening to me, but y we've seen hundreds of thousands of Muslims getting upset and angry over the cartoons of the Prophet, yes, Muhammad. if you remember, and, yeah. and now our, we don't see anything happening except what's going on in Jerusalem, of course, for the Jerusalemites to defend Al-Aqsa, but the rest are sleeping. Yeah, uh, absolutely, you are right, and uh, around this, uh, uh, for What's going on in the Middle East, in general, in Syria, in Lebanon, in, uh, in Libya, in Yemen, in Iraq, and this is make it easy for the Israelis to use. They have connection. They are playing a big role for what's going on in general in the Middle East. And the other side, we don't need to forget that the, the, the last summit in Saudi Arabia, when uh, Mr. Trump, he went there and uh, uh, what happened and all these kind of deals, this is part of the, I mean, go, the goal of, uh, one of the goals of this summit to normalize the relationship with Israel. And right now you can see this kind of connections uh, between Saudi Arabia and Israel. And this is another kind of a green light. We don't need to forget that Saudi Arabia playing a big role leading the Muslim world right now, or try to lead the Muslim world. And by not raising this issue, raising Al-Aqsa issue, and not standing behind the people uh, uh, anger and try to stop what Israel doing, it will be a huge problem for the, the world. Right now, I can say, we saw what happened in Gaza, the first attack, second attack, third attack, and Israel all the time, they use this kind as an opportunity, and we they try to isolate any other kind of connection. We see the Egyptian connection with the Israelis, <clears throat> The Egyptian connection with uh, the Egyptian government, connection with the Israeli government. We see the Saudi Arabian, and this is, in a way or another, make it for Israel. This is the right time to do it. Uh, the Muslim world, I, I don't expect that much, to be honest with you, Jamal. And we will be. This is not the first time Al-Aqsa facing this. Al-Aqsa faced this many times. It was, Even, set, it was set on fire. Yeah, it was set on fire, and we didn't see any kind of strong reaction. The only reaction, and we can say, and all the reports coming, like uh, from Palestine, that the, the resiliency of, of uh, uh, people living in East Jerusalem, this is the, the key player toward this process. And people, they expect that. The people, they took the first moment. They, we are not going, going through. We will not accept this again. Especially after the, the, the what happened in the uh, Abraham Mosque in in, in, uh, in Hebron, uh, 
the Muslim world, I think they are in far. They can't. They didn't do anything for the Iraqis. They did nothing for the Syrian, Libyan, Yemeni. And actually, what's going on in Yemen? It's the people in Yemen. They are facing certain kind of. Uh, I don't want to say genocide, but they are under a huge attack by Muslims country who's attacking Yemen right now. It's Arabia. a Muslim country. Yeah, led by Saudi Arabia. There are other armies coming from Sudan, from uh, Emirates, from different countries, Arab world, right. and Muslim worlds, and they are again killing the part of the Yemeni people. And the same in Syria, that under Islam, there are a lot of uh, people dying under the, the slogan of Islam. Right now I see this is why Israel using this opportunity. Israel, it's not a procedure to react what happened last week. It was a plan, ready, and waiting for the right moment to happen, and it happens last week. This is what Israel going to try to impose. Now it's up to the people, and I say up to the people in East Jerusalem. Of course, if there were solidarity from the rest of the world, it would make sense. If there were no solidarity, this is the Jerusalem uh, Jerusalem lies, people challenge the coming, or I don't know for how long it will go. Uh, you're listening to the voice of Ziad Abbas from uh, Mecca. Uh, Mecca stands for the Middle East Children Alliance right here in the Bay Area. Uh, Ziad is uh, going to be talking to us soon about a very important event that uh, Mecca has in uh, Berkeley City College Auditorium, which is uh, uh, which is uh, a benefit uh, program for Palestinian and Lebanese children, and uh, they are going to be featuring a very important film, which is uh, the uh, uh, May Masri's film Three Thousand Nights. We're going we are going to be talking about the film and the event uh, after we take a short uh, break uh, you stay uh, following us right here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5.5 FM in the San Francisco Bay Area but we are also broadcasting live uh, on uh, Facebook we're also broadcasting on SoundCloud uh, we are going to end our Facebook Live uh, uh, section of uh, or segment of this uh, program, but please follow us online, kpo.com. That's you can listen to us on kpo.com. You can, of course, if you are in the Bay Area, uh, listen to go to 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. <laughs> This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. We are back with Ziad Abbas. Ziad uh, is from uh, the Mecca, the Middle East Children Alliance. And Ziad, we've been talking about, of course, uh, what's happening in Palestine, especially in uh, Jerusalem, what's going to be happening in the next 24 hours. But you also here you have a very important event, an event that you are featuring, an award-winning film about Palestinian uh, women, political prisoners, by uh, May Masri, and we should give our listeners the date, which is Tuesday, July 25th, uh, at 7 p.m. Uh, at the, the Berkeley City College Auditorium, which is on 2050 Center Street, 10-minute walk from downtown uh, Berkeley Bart. Uh, tell us about the event. 
Actually, this is a film we choose to have it, uh, to screen it in the Bay Area because it's very important. And the time we chose it, actually, it was during the hunger strike, Jamal. You remember the 42 days when thousands of Palestinian political prisoners, they started a hunger strike to protest the, the torture they are facing in Israeli jails. And we choose that to let the people know what's going on. But this is another kind of a story. First of all, I will give you credit to my Masri with this film. It's amazing. A new, it's a new experience for her. She was known doing documentary films like the Children of Shatila, Frontiers, uh, Jabal and Nar, uh, about Nablus. She did uh, many, many documentary films and very well known. And they won many prizes, international prizes around the world. But this film, 3,000 Nights, it's a new film, the first experience for her in fiction film. She's telling a story of a Palestinian woman. She went to jail in the 80s, and she was pregnant. And she gave a birth inside jail. And of course, here, what's amazing about this film, it's the details. I'm not going to speak a lot about these details because I want the people to come to you the You don't panel. want to spoil it. Exactly. But, but the, the details that we are, the people, we are not aware of it, which it happens inside the jail. How the giving birth and how this child changed the life of the prisoners inside Israeli jail and uh, impact the prisoners. It's amazing, amazing film. And I can say, this film now it was uh, screened all over the world and people like they were if you see the reviews about this film it's amazing because the way how uh, May Masri the filmmaker she followed the story she was traveling between where she lived in Lebanon to Palestine all the time and followed this woman and this is like related to real story what it means for a Palestinian woman to be in jail how these women survive inside jail, how they create their own community inside jail. I invite all the people to come to this film. It's very important. I guarantee it's amazing learning opportunity for everyone to see the details and to live this kind of details in a film will make us sad, some of the movie, but will get give us hope at the same time. How people living in very hard conditions create the space for hope and survive. Well, I mean, uh, it, it's a, um, May Masri is very well known uh, as a filmmaker. She describes the film, uh, she says it's about resilience, as you said, resilience, resistance, and above all, a film about hope. Yes. I mean, if I've, uh, I haven't watched the film, I watched the trailer, which mm-hmm. uh, it looks very, very compelling. And we hear several, I mean, this is like a, a based on a real life uh, story. Uh, in, in that case, uh, the, uh, uh, I guess the, uh, the subject, she, when she was arrested, she was already pregnant. Yes. But many uh, Palestinian women, they leave children behind, they leave uh, families behind, uh, they are subjected to torture. Yeah, this is like this kind of film, like where it reminds us with Palestinian political prisoners. Uh, we don't need to forget we have right now like uh, 6,200 Palestinian political prisoners inside the Israeli jail. We have 490 prisoners 
they are in administrative detention, they are without court, and some of them, they're in you for them. We need to remember we have right now 300 children below 18 years old. And by the way, Jamal, some of them, they are from Jerusalem. They are children from Silwan, from Thuri, from Jabal Zatun, from Wadil Joes. These are the children, 13, 14 years. And they are inside Israeli jail. Imagine a child sometime, 10 years old or 11 years standing in a court, military court, in Israeli military court with judges, etc. This is how they treat our uh, prisoners. At the same time, we have right now uh, uh, 58 women, Palestinian women inside jail. And among them, some of them, they were pregnant and they have the children. You know, the Israeli, they allowed the moms inside jail to keep the child until two years old. And after that, they released the child. And the, the tragedy starts after that because the child can come visit the mom but can, cannot touch the mom, can see her from far. I can say about uh, all the reports coming in Palestine, and we are Palestinian, both of us, and we have relatives. We have uh, no Palestinian family did not experience uh, uh, any uh, connection with Israeli with the Israeli jail. So it's uh, this kind. It reflects how it will uh, the life of Palestinian in general. Uh, uh, around the prison since 19 and you will have in the film actually I will mention this about the film will show you how many prisoners since 1967 how these prisoners at the same time survived and some of them they were actually passed away immediately after they released uh, sometime Palestinian political prisoners they are like in a lab where Israel they do different kind of experiment on them and some prisoners, they pay, uh, as a result of that, their lives, they lose their, their, uh, their lives. Um, I, I encourage the people again and to come because it's not just about a certain individual woman. It's the story of Palestinian women. It's the story of Palestinian in general. Because right now we have over 800,000 Palestinians experience the jail from Musbak and Gaza since 1967 until now. And it's a huge number. When you think about it, we are almost 4.5 4 million people. Mm -hmm. If you take 800,000, they experience the jail. And still, this is more people that will experience the jail. And uh, this is this is the life of Palestinian people right now. I mean, the film is very timely. Uh, the film was, uh, I, I think, uh, was released in 2015. Yeah. So it was released even before uh, the recent hunger strikes and... Uh, other events that yeah. when now you're showing the film uh, as as you've mentioned uh, just uh, before I, before I went on my trip uh, I would say six weeks ago that yeah. was uh, we've had the son of Marwan Barghouti Arab Barghouti here to talk about the plight of the Palestinian prisoners and of course his father yeah and so it's an ongoing uh, situation Let's talk a little bit about uh, your organization because uh, obviously this is an important film. Uh, you've been, I know Mecca has been working with uh, Palestinians and Palestinian children and going to uh, refugee camps and going to Gaza. Uh, I don't know if the situation has changed or if it has gotten even more difficult for you to to operate, send people there like you used to, to go to the Hesha refugee camp or even send people to enter into Gaza. Actually, uh, by the way, next year Jamal will be 30 years for Mecca. That's and right. 
Yeah, I know. It's sad. <laughs> it's sad that the still Palestinian people, they are suffering. And of course, not just Palestinian people. Right now we are working with Syrian refugees. Before that with Iraqis, this is the sad part sometime with the work we do. But this is something we need to do. The people, they need to stand in solidarity with other people living under oppression, no matter where. Uh, for us, it's work. It's actually the situation getting hard and difficult, and uh, there is no enough resources for the people to support what's going on. For example, I want to say we are uh, working with a project in Silwan. For children, they are living under home arrest. Imagine a child, 10 years, 12 years, under home arrest, and they are not allowed to leave their houses for months. They are not allowed to uh, to leave their houses, and how Israel is. They succeed, I can say. They try to legitimize every process they do it. They succeed to make their parents, the parents as jailers. Because they impose in the parents, if the child leaves the house, which they have a bracelet, electronic bracelet, they know if he left the house even a few meters after the area, they will impose a fine on the family. And the father need to pay, for example, $2,000 or $3,000 to the government as a fine because the child, he moved a few meters out of the house. On the other hand, uh, we work, actually, we support a project in Silvan where psychologists and social workers, they try to deal with these children. They're stuck in their houses. And sometimes there are teachers go to teach the children because they are not allowed to go back to school. Uh, we work, in, uh, uh, for example, in, uh, uh, in Gaza Strip. And recently... We are working with this project. You know about the electricity issue on Gaza Strip. Mm -hmm. And it's, imagine here you have electricity sometimes two hours or three hours per day. And sometimes every 36 or 35 hours, you get the electricity three hours in some parts of Gaza Strip. And this is as a result of the siege. This year, 10 years on this uh, uh, siege on Gaza Strip, where it's control everything is controlled to get to Gaza. And uh, there are a bunch of uh, group of engineers in Gaza Strip where they came and they developed a way where they can uh, store the electricity in certain kind of uh, system. I'm not that much expert, but mm -hmm. they came with this initiative, where developed this initiative. Right. They can, if they can get the electricity for two, uh, two hours, they can keep uh, the main light, I can say, not uh, uh, make all the house function with electricity, just the main lights in the bathroom, living room for at least 8 hours, 10 hours and they developed this, uh, developed this system, right now we are supporting 275 families to get this type of systems where local engineers develop this way, we're still working in uh, uh, water systems where we build water purification and desalinization system in schools, it's a huge problem in Gaza, Gaza is the biggest prison on earth right now over 2 million people, they are living on 139 square miles. You have five and with six gates. Gaza Strip has six gates, five gates controlled by the Israelis and one gate controlled by the Egyptian. And 54% uh, uh, of the people in, in, uh, in Gaza, they are children below 18. So the majority of these prisoners in Gaza, they are children. They are not allowed to move. We have cases they die in Gaza because they are not allowed to travel to Israeli hospitals or hospitals in West Bank or to go to, to Egyptian uh, 
hospital. It's very hard, very tough. For us to travel there to get to Gaza, it's these days it's impossible to get a permit and to enter Gaza. In the past, it was different. Maybe you, when you used to travel to Jerusalem, you used to go to Gaza. If you want to drive a car, you can drive your car and you go to Gaza. Right now, it's not allowed. It's the same for us. Even, even uh, I mean, before it was very easy, and then later on for me, uh, I used to, as a journalist, obtain a special permission, uh, get a, get first, obta- first obtain a, an Israeli press card, yeah. and now they don't g- even give it to me. Yeah. I, I, you know, so, so I've tried, like when I was there last year, and then they just give you the runaround, especially if your name is uh, Jamal Dejani or... And, yeah, or, of course. You know, so immediately they kind of like push your application, and unless you are maybe with BBC or have a or or, or CNN, it's almost yeah. impossible now to send independent journalists to to, to, to get the script. To, to unless they, you are from their allies stations. Y- yes, yes, <laughs> you have, exactly. You have to be there. And I've, I've tried that. I mean, I've before I've obtained it, and then several times what they have in Jerusalem, they have the press office, the government uh, press office uh, there, and then every foreign journalist. Yeah, has to go there and and, and apply, uh, and uh, they've turned me down twice. Yeah, it's uh, it's very hard. It's very tough, even for international organization like ours. We are not allowed to get a permit to get uh, to enter Gaza. On the other hand, uh, West Bank, it's it's very hard, very difficult too. I want to say this is in personal level, Jamal. Since they imposed the checkpoints in Jerusalem and everyone needs a permit, me. Since 2004, uh, I can say 2000, sorry, 94, they, 93, 94, they imposed that everyone from Muspang and Strip need to get a special permit to get to the Israeli area, including Jerusalem. After that, after 2000, it became very complicated. I visited San Francisco since 2000 until now more than I visited Jerusalem, which it is like less than 10 miles from Bethlehem mm-hmm. to Jerusalem. I am living in Dehesha refugee camp. I used right. to live in Dehesha refugee camp in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. I can't go to Jerusalem. I go to the hills in Bethlehem to see Jerusalem. That's right. But I, I'm not allowed. I can come to San Francisco. I can go to London, but I can't go to Jerusalem. And this is, this is what we, when we explain that to the people, this is the apartheid policy. Uh-huh. This is how you discriminate against the indigenous, the local people. They are living, grow up. And you have generations. You speak about Al-Aqsa. You have a Palestinian generation living in West Bank. They never, they are 15 and 16 years, they never have been in Jerusalem. Because their parents, they are not allowed to visit Jerusalem. Well, I mean, I know, uh, being from Jerusalem and having traveled back and forth to, of course, to Bethlehem and, and other places, what most people probably don't realize is that you have to cross through that uh, uh, apartheid wall when walls have uh, been coming down like uh, we saw what happened in uh, Germany the Berlin Wall and others but you have this wall and in fact uh, I was there during the holidays the Christian holidays uh, last year where people don't realize that you have uh, Palestinian Christians uh, who live in, of course, Bethlehem and Beth Sahur and, 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 and Beth Jal and so forth, who can't go and visit family members in Jerusalem. They can't visit the sepulcher, the, the, the church of the sepulcher, unless they apply for a permit and they deny most of the applications. Um, also, very limited number of Christians from Gaza can even travel, if, if allowed. But I know for sure uh, the ones in the West Bank, 
can hardly come during even the holidays, like the festivities of uh, Easter, which is very important. They don't. Yeah, last uh, last March we had the dancing group came from the Hesha refugee camp and we toured them around the state. And uh, we were doing a presentation in one of the schools in, uh, in Sacramento, actually. And there were a question about the free of movement. And one of the children stand up, he's, uh, he's 13 years old, and he said in a very clear way, I am 13 years uh, year old. The first time I got, I visited Jerusalem, the day they, the organization took us to the American consulate to get the visa. Wow. In 13 years. Mm -hmm. And this is children, they are growing up around Jerusalem. You are not allowed to go to access. In addition to that, it's not just this. Even in summer, where the people, they go uh, picnics, trips, they would like to go to the sea. Now, Palestine, they, they, we are surrounded by seas. Like, you have the Red Sea, you have the Mediterranean Sea, you have the Dead Sea, you have Tiberia Lake. But Palestinians from West Bank, they come to travel and go to the sea. So you have, I'm not saying, but this is part of the, 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 the daily life of the people. You are not allowed because who you are, the color you have, the nationality you have, the way how your face is looking, this is what's called racism. That Palestinian people, they can't even access their rights. I don't want to, like there are people, they want to go to the hospitals. We have the main hospitals in West Bank, it's in Jerusalem, Al Maqasid Hospital, yeah. Al Mutta at the Jani hospital and for uh, women yeah. we have like but right now it's, the, no, it's no longer there by the but way is, uh, the, the Jani yeah, the, yeah. Uh, um, the doctor who was overseeing it passed away and I think now they're in a transition trying to find a replacement that's in Beth Hanina but the main Dajani hospital by the way the very first Dajani hospital was in Jaffa yeah that's the, the yeah, famous that's, that's, that actually the first Dajani hospital, uh, but yeah, many hospitals. Uh, but you mentioned a, a, a good point here. This is another way how the Israel try to uh, put pressure in the people living in East Jerusalem to make it difficult for them to survive and to live, where they try to build the hospital in Beit Hanina or in Ram, to build it out of the borders, out of the wall. And where many businesses in East Jerusalem, they, 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 they fail, they collapse unless some of them go open businesses in Aizaria mm -hmm. or go to Ramallah. And this is how I call it the, the, the ethnic cleansing policy, targeting the people living in East Jerusalem to make them to live and survive and have like a business or have an income generating project inside East Jerusalem. You're absolutely right. Initially, for uh, when the Palestinian authority was formed and uh, they've created this de facto, I would say, virtual state uh, in, uh, in Ramallah. Uh, people were saying, you know, uh, like the people were, after they stopped allowing the Israelis, they stopped allowing people from the West Bank mm -hmm. coming to Jerusalem, etc. They were like envying the people in Jerusalem because they said, oh, well, you know, you have a Jerusalem ID. Uh, you can travel. You're privileged. You're privileged. You can yeah. travel. But it's not the case anymore. It's yeah. actually the opposite. Because uh, you're right. Israel has put all its focus. And, and if you look at the statistics, you know, I have more than 600,000 mm -hmm. settlers uh, living in the West Bank. Most of them are around around in and around Jerusalem. They're suffocating Jerusalem. They're suffocating it also, not only uh, stripping people from their IDs. Uh, people in Jerusalem, they cannot work in the West Bank. If they work in the West Bank and they find out that somebody's earning 
their income in the West Bank, they strip them from their ID. If they marry somebody from the West Bank, like a West Banker, they mm -hmm. don't allow the spouse to come in. Uh, they, uh, they're suffocating them economically besides the, the physical thing. So people in Jerusalem now are actually feeling the pressure. And in a way, when I started talking about now what's going on in uh, Al-Aqsa, I feel they are the ones uh, who are, you know, putting themselves on the line. You know, if we claim Al-Aqsa, now we're getting into theology, and I said I upset a lot of people, and I have this discussion for 1.7, 1.8 billion people. And the question really, and... And we can also be, because we have to be self-critical. And the question is, uh, when you hear it, what is the so-called Palestinian authorities doing? What is it, what is, what is it doing mm -hmm. to, uh, for the fight for, for Al-Aqsa? What are, what can they do? What is their authority? What is their power? Yeah, uh, before we go to that, just you remind me when you explain, one of my colleagues two days ago, I was speaking with him in East Jerusalem, and he was like, really, he was tired, he was staying the night on the, on the streets, you know, the people, they stay the night, they go early morning to pray on the streets in front of the gates. And uh, he told me, you know, when you go back to the history, how they did it since 1967, what happened to the Palestinian people living in East Jerusalem? Israel, they were targeting the body, attacking the hands, the legs of the Palestinian body in Jerusalem, East Jerusalem. And by like building, expanding settlement, they have a circle of settlement now with Har Huma. They close the circle around Jerusalem. Right. They are taking houses inside the Palestinian neighborhood, like what they did in Silwan, you know. They are doing this ethnic and the old city. Old city. And they are actually make it difficult for the people. As you explained, if you're married, it's not married, all the time you need to leave Jerusalem, not to come back to Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. This is how you lose your ID. And these, they were attacking the body, but now they are attacking the heart by attacking Al-Aqsa. They are attacking the heart of the Palestinian body. And how this will survive? Is the Palestinian body going to survive? This is what the people in Jerusalem think about it. Are we going to survive this? Or that's it. This is the end. This is where we need to take a stand. And that's because Israel, for many years, they, they've always tested the ground. They've always had a trial balloon. Yes. And they saw the reaction. Yes. They saw the reaction when they built the wall. People thought, oh, everyone's going to go crazy. And this. they managed to build the wall and pretty much finish 95% of the wall and nothing happened. They've managed to annex Jerusalem. Nothing happened. They've, of course, annexed the Golan Heights uh, from Syria. Yeah. Uh, they've managed to strip Jerusalemites from their ID. Nothing happened. And now they've been testing the ground, you know, because, and I think because of the weakness of the Arab world, the weakness of the Muslim world, now they're, they're, te they're testing the ground because this is the government. This is a very messianic government. And they're testing the ground with this. Uh, that's what people believe. That's what they're yeah. thinking. If no one reacts except, you know, we can deal with uh, 50,000, 100,000, 200,000, even a million Palestinians demonstrating. They, we can control that. That's how they feel, you know, by force, by, you know, whatever. And if nothing happens, then the next step will be 
to claim sovereignty and put the Israeli flag over Dome of the Rock and over the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Mosque. And build the temple. Yes. And, and build the that, temple. That, that, that is the goal. Yeah, that's, that's the, and that's, I think your friend is, is right on the mark. And, and I, I can tell you, that's what people tell me. They say, you know what? And uh, I don't know how to, uh, you know, yeah. that's how Jerusalem, Jerusalemites describe themselves and they're described in, uh, even the Quran, those who are the last front yeah. to defend Al-Aqsa. Al-Aqsa and they're getting very exhausted. They are exhausted and tired and they are because they feel alone. And they are alone, actually, not just they feel alone. And I want to return back to your question about the Palestinian Authority. I believe the Palestinian Authority, they are handcuffed. They don't have that much to do. What they are calling for last few days, calling the American, calling the Saudi Arabian, hey, but the pressure, let the Israelis move this kind of uh, 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 procedures from east uh, around Al-Aqsa, etc. But this is, will not work. Israel, they never pay attention for the international public opinion until now. But I am, I am, to be honest with you, according to what I hear and read, even the Israeli media today, you are a journalist. I was working as a journalist. I read all the time the Israeli media. And even some of the Israeli writers, they say Israel now, they put themselves in the corner because they cannot measure, as you said, because they cannot measure the reaction, how the people will react toward this. And the coming, not just tomorrow, the coming few days, it will be clear where the people, because Israel now they put, they are attacking uh, deeply. They are hurting the people, provoking. And as uh, maybe you saw, there are unbelievable photos coming in people's faces and people's eyes, like when they are uh, protesting in front of the gates of, uh, of Al-Aqsa. Uh, I am optimistic. I am optimistic because, look, since 1948 until now, we are not erased. We face to erase us. They, we are Palestinian, not erased. And I believe that they, this kind of, uh, it's a colonial system. You need to fight it. We learn from other people. They were fighting colonial system and they won in the end. But for us, I don't feel like uh, you have next year, it will be 70 years for the catastrophe, the Nakba. And still, you have the new generation born and grew up far from their villages, but they are really connected and committed. Well, the whole new generation, I yeah. mean, we have now, I think uh, you can even look at it as uh, at least two generations and even some cases three generations of Palestinians who, nothing, who know nothing but living under occupation. Yes, this is the conditions which people live under influence their actions, decisions, and perspectives. Palestinian, you have generation living under occupation. They will not, and they will not accept. We can see, like, they will not accept that. And this is the hope. The hope, first of all, in the United States here, the people, they will take a stand to try to uh, uh, speak with their representatives, do something to stop what's going on and to, because this is will reduce the blood, I can say, because we are worried, worried about the coming days, I'm sure, uh, that something could happen where people, they lose their lives. 
uh, in this kind of protests in, in Palestine because these days it's easy to shoot a Palestinian or it's easy to shoot an Arab mm -hmm. and because not many people, even just in the end you will end it as a number in the human rights well, organization. Also, also, also yeah. Benjamin Netanyahu is emboldened, like as I mentioned earlier, because uh, most of the world is distracted by what's going yes. on around in the neighborhood. But also with the Trump administration, he feels very secure that uh, he got an administration that at least he thinks maybe is very supportive. In fact, uh, just a few days, uh, what is it, two days ago, we have yeah. uh, about 22 senators uh, introducing a bill to uh, against uh, the First Amendment. So if you are going to be criticizing Israel or supporting the BDS movement, the boycott uh, divestment movement against Israel, you can pay a fine of $250,000 and go to jail, which is unprecedented. I mean, imagine, yes, imagine yeah. doing this against any any uh, subject or any uh, ethnicity in this uh, in the United States. It's totally unconstitutional. Nevertheless, in this atmosphere, they're submitting a bill. You know that mm -hmm. those senators, who I call hypocrites, do not actually believe it in its content because it it. It violates the Constitution. Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me with the, something all the time I go back to the history. Yeah, Nelson Mandela, who was in the blacklist, he was in the terrorist list, do you remember? That's right. And Nelson Mandela. Under Reagan. Yeah, and Nelson Mandela, he was welcomed in the White House. And he, all these, that those senators, they were against him. And they were keeping the relationship with the apartheid system. They were running to take a photo with Nelson Mandela. History, it, it will change. Such hypocrites, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> we can still say this. Uh, we this have few, will change. We yeah. have a few minutes left. I want to again remind our listeners to support uh, Mecca's uh, event, uh, you know, benefit for uh, uh, Mecca's programs for Palestinian and Lebanese children, which is going to be happening this coming Tuesday, July 25th. Uh, uh, where you're going to have, uh, you're going to be treated to an award, an award-winning film about Palestinian women, political prisoners, uh, by Mai Masri. Uh, the name of the film is Three Thousand Nights in Arabic, Lele. So Three Thousand Nights. Make sure uh, you go to. Uh, Mecca's website, which is uh, meccaforpeace.org. You get all the information about the film. Yeah. And uh, thank you, uh, Ziad, for coming again here thank to you, talk Jamal, to us. And hopefully we'll have you soon. This is the end of our show. This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. We will talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.